Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Tim, the co-founder and writer at Wait But Why, and they discuss how to tackle writing about huge topics like the Fermi paradox, what it's been like for Tim working with Elon Musk to write about Tesla, SpaceX, and Neuralink, and imagining what the future may hold for the human race. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. is the Modern CTO Podcast. I finished college and knew I wanted to do something kind of, um, something on my own, you know, know, creative or entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, really, uh, I I, I started, my first crack was I'm going to try to write music for movies um, because I I wanted to write music, but I didn't, I wanted to be a modern classical artist in, in the way that not I'm writing classical music, but just what they did, which is they just wrote music and symphonies and stuff and no, uh, no lyrics. Cause I don't really know how to write lyrics, but that, um, there's not really careers like that today. They're not, not, it's hard, right. To be like a just non-lyric composer and like, but movies is a way you can actually do that. So I started doing that, but I also have like major procrastination issues and, uh, there was no one making me do anything. There was no external deadlines. And I just moved very slowly. And I did, you know, I wrote some scores and I took some classes to understand how to, you know, work with the different instruments. Um, and I, uh, I, I got some reps in and it was fine, but it was just going very slowly. And in the meantime, I started, you know, tutoring students to kind of pay the bills. And then that turned into a uh, me starting a tutoring company, um, which is the kind of thing a procrastinator does is like, you know, the thing that you're, you're not trying to do uh, is the thing you'll focus on, the thing that's not important to you. You know, because music in the first place was what I was doing when I was procrastinating in college. So I was like, let me just do that full time. But then when I was doing music full time, I was like doing this tutoring thing. I'm like, well, maybe I should do that full time. So I started doing business full time. Um, procrastinated from that by starting blogging. And I was, you know, and I was like, maybe I should do this full time. And that's when Wait But Why started. Um, uh, yeah, it started as like kind of a, I don't know, a part business venture. I had a business partner, uh, Andrew Finn at Wait But Why. And we, I mean, at, at, uh, at our tutoring company. And we kind of thought, well, you know, maybe I could go and just kind of start a, some kind of media company of some, we had no idea. And then also this was kind of my, going back to when I graduated college, I was like, you know, sure, this maybe would be the, the creative thing I really wanted to do. And so, um, just, uh, I went to Easter Island for a month alone because I wanted to just go somewhere really out, out of the way, but somewhere also kind of cool and inspiring, hopefully. Um, and wrote a bunch of blog posts, came up with the name of the blog and the design and, uh, came back. I think I procrastinated for like five months and actually getting it started, but then got it started mid 2013 as uh, you know, a project that we didn't really know what it was, but it was, uh, I was just going to write best articles I could and see what happened. Uh, you know, my other blog, I had been, the thing I'd been doing on the was very much on the side. I was like spending five hours a week on it and just like writing little write-ups here. I was like, what if I spent my whole time on this one activity, this one craft? Um, so that was the premise. And, um, it, it, it got going right away. Got like a lot of, uh, uh, a couple articles went viral of, of like the first bunch, um, pretty quickly, which was great. Cause you immediately have external pressure, which someone like me needs immediately. You have readers and they're expecting now they're, they're actually visiting the site, waiting for the next post. Uh, when you said you were going to put it up. So that's great for me. I had suddenly had all this pressure to, uh, produce and quickly so that they wouldn't leave and they wouldn't forget about me. And, um, get an email list going and trying to sign people up for the email. list. So it became this very intense kind of couple of years of like furiously writing and trying to 
grow this, you know, early audience. And, um, as that happened, the writing evolved and the, the, the topics got more serious, uh, and longer, much longer posts. And, um, I just started to get more confidence that I can get into longer things and people will still want to read it. And I can like take on something more serious as opposed to kind of a funny listicle. Uh, and people will, people like it. You know, so I learned that kind of incrementally as I went. And then I started to kind of say, okay, the people who are here, they happen to be people who really like kind of the way I think or the way I, I write. And so therefore I'm going to like really dig into just what, what I'm really truly like interested in my own, you know, sense of humor. And I'm not going to try to be anything else. I'm not going to try to like, I'm going to stop trying to like go viral or like, you know, what, what would like pop on the internet. I'm just going to say like, what is actually going on in my head? What's really interesting to me? What's really funny to me and just do that stuff. And so that, then, then that, that, uh, that kind of went from there. The articles then kept getting longer and longer uh, and more thorough until I was kind of writing mini books. At which point I decided to just finally write a book book, which is what I'm working on now. And then I hope to get back to some shorter posts because I really like those. And I like how you can switch topics every week. And uh, I'm a little um, fatigued of working on one topic for so long. What type of style are you picking for your book? Is it a bunch of isolated content like from the blog or is it there's a theme throughout? Yeah. I know uh, this is a, a very long blog post on a single topic is what this is. This is started out as a post that was supposed to be a short post. And of course, that immediately went out the window. It was a post when I, I started looking around the society around me and I started saying that something's quite wrong. It's not just the normal uh, like political polarization, but I was like as a writer who is pretty fearless because I have my own platform. No one can fire me or anything. I, was, I found myself being kind of like terrified to write about politics. And I'm not scared to write about other stuff. You know, it was just kind of like, ah, I felt like it was a minefield. And I was like, what, what's going on? You know, and then just in general, like this was 2016, I started having these thoughts. I know. And, and, and I feel like if I write about, you know, with nuance about this whole slew of important topics it, within society, I'll like, it'll like be this horrible backlash or something. So I was like, what's, what became curious even more than society was what's, why am I so scared? What's that coming from? And who is making me scared? And, and, and is, that, is that rational or not? Is this normal? Or is this kind of like a new thing? Are there historical precedents for this kind of thing? So I, I just didn't know. And I wanted to dig in. And that turned into a very long blog post because it was a lot to talk about. It's like, oh, we have to go back to our evolutionary past and why we're tribal. And we have to go back to the history of the US. And we have to talk about um, uh, the last 60 years in depth and what's going on. And then what's going on now? Let's dig really deep into it. So that turned into a blog series uh, that then got so crazy there that in the middle of the series, I said that I'm not even halfway done. I realized, and I'm not, this is not a fun place for most people to read. This is sitting on a website or scrolling on their phone. Let's do this right. Cause there's so much to say here. I've learned a lot from what I've already posted, uh, which was the first like bunch of chapters. Uh, I've learned a lot cause I've gotten a ton of feedback. You know, it's an author's, it's a luxury for an author to be able to put stuff out in the world, get a ton of feedback from thousands of people who are picking apart your stuff and then get to go write a book with the benefit of really having seen at what has clicked with people, what makes sense, what's confusing, what has been misunderstood, where, where was I being callous? You know, so it was, it was really, it was great. And so then I went and was like, okay, let's just do this right and get this thing out. And that's been now a couple of years and getting very close to the, and probably going to come out this year. So yeah, I'll be excited to move on. 
it's not even my favorite thing to write about. I just thought it was a really important thing to write about because I, I looked around and I said, there's all this cool technology happening, all this cool stuff for the future. You know, like the, 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 you know, I always think about what's, what's life going to be like in 2030, 2040. And there's so much exciting things, you know, so, so, so many exciting uh, possibilities, but all of the, the, the good future relies on us as a society being able to, being able to talk to each other and, make decisions together and co cooperate. And if we can't do that, none of that stuff matters. This is how great societies just fall apart. And all those dreams you had about the future, they don't happen and something much worse happens. So I was like, this is the most important thing to talk about first. Because if we don't get this right, nothing else matters. So we have to figure out what's going on in, with our the society declining in some important way. Then we can get back to all the fun stuff. Yes. You've got my mind spinning. There's so many things, but I'm excited to uh, put me on the list, man. I want to. I want to buy it. I want to hear. Are you going to do the Audible? Yeah, it's going to be um, audio, ebook, print book, all that stuff. Um, probably online as well for sub subscription, something like that. Are you going to read it though? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm going to read it. I, I, I've had. You know, it's so it makes. I'd like to have all my blog posts be audio. And I, uh, it's a huge amount of time and I'm not a professional at it. So we, we, we worked with a couple of professionals and they read, re, you know, read a post as like, um, a kind of a, a trial and they sound great. It just doesn't sound like me. It's not the, it's like, that's not what that sentence is supposed to sound like. There's this very specific tone to every word here that I realize that is not necessarily obvious. And, and so I was like, I can't have anyone else do this. I have to do it. So I, I will be reading the book. Yeah. Hey, what was the uh, like the origin story for the name? Like, why did you choose Wait But Why? Well, I was on GoDaddy trying out a thousand things to see if there's any dot coms available, and there there really aren't. And at the end, I had a list of uh, a handful where I found the name. I happened to like the name, or maybe like the name, and the dot com was available. And so then, Wait But Why was on that list. And I thought it had a couple, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting and it had a couple, um, it, 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 it kind of resonated with me. It kind of had a, that, that, that it made a point that I think I wanted to kind of bring out in my writing, which was like to, to, to try to, to get past your, the, the assumptions that we all have about why everything is the way it is and, or what's going on. I think there's all often just group think that all of us are a part of without realizing it. And, um, I wanted this to be a place of like, let's like, you know, pause and reflect and really look at what's going on and, and try to understand why. So I can't remember if I really had that idea when I was coming up with it, or I've like invented that story after, but since then it has come to mean that to me. So I don't remember whether I actually was thinking that in the beginning, but either way, um, I was like, okay, you know, this is, this works. Uh, I ran it by some people. Um, my wife like nixed like eight of the ideas. It was some very odd ideas. And like, this was one that everyone seemed to like, kind of like, and uh, that was the end, you know, I also just kind of, and I still believe this, that I kind of think that it's one of those things where it doesn't really matter. I think a few things don't really matter if you're a writer, if you're trying to be an online writer and get some, some buzz. I don't think the name matters. I, look, a great name can maybe help. Uh, a bad name maybe can hurt, but it doesn't really matter. I don't think the look of the website really matters. It matters a little. I don't think that, that if it's a high quality website with like, you know, if, if like your social buttons at the bottom of the post where you can like share, if those are like not aligned, which mine weren't, I just don't think, but in the end, what people are there for is the ideas. And if the ideas are good, if they're the articles making them think and they're delighted by the jokes or whatever, 
that's 98% of what matters. So I, I think I had that sense early on that I was like, I'm not going to start hiring someone to make a beautiful set. Not, that's not what's going to be important here. So you can get tripped up on that too and put like way too much time and energy into all of those exactly. things. And, 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 yeah. and by the way, like really nice websites are everywhere. So it's like, you don't even stand out. It's not like, wow, look at the website. It looks so clean. And it's like, every website's nice, right? So it's like, that's, it's, it's, it's like the same where, you know, I, I, I try to make my drawings kind of just like the authentic drawings of a one single, not very talented artist, because that's actually, okay, that's something that's, that's like a real thing from a real person versus when you make the graphics too good, now they blend in with every corporation's graphics out there. That's, it's like in a, in a weird way, when you make things really nice, sometimes they actually lose a little bit of, um, of uh, they, they, it makes it a little harder to stand out. Yeah. And I like the, the rawness and the realness. Like I, I don't know. I love the stick figures, man. Like it's just so, Thank it's you. so cool and it feels super genuine. I, one of my favorite ones was uh, your interview with Elon Musk. <laughs> Or like the person calls you and like the head of the stick figures. That's on the what floor actually like, happened. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was crazy. But yeah, I, I just, myself, I happen to like visual things. Like if I open a book, a new book I get and I'm flipping through and it's full of like comics and like charts and I'm like thrilled because that's how I learn. Some people would look at that and be like, what is this? So I'd be bored. Great. You know, everyone, aliens. But, but I'm like, I, I like that. And so I'm sure other people like that too, because you know, so that, that's uh, that's why I do it. Cause that's like what I happen to like as a reader. It's lots of visuals. One thing I am curious about, uh, it's like, I read your Fermi paradox uh, article and I was wondering, I was like, is, is he like partnering with a physicist? Like how is he getting all of this information and like checking it and accuracy? I, I'm just so curious about that. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think of um, knowledge that you could have uh, on a topic going from like one to 10. And I always just try to think about, I'm trying to get to like a six. So I'm trying to get from like wherever I am, a two or three up to like a six. And then I'm trying to bring readers up to maybe like a five. You know, um, you want to be a little higher than what you're writing. You don't want to be writing to the exact max of what you know. That's that's because there's always some stuff when you learn more, you look back and you're like, oh, okay, I was oversimplifying this or I didn't, you know, you're never fully oriented to right where you are uh, at, at your max. So I, I want to bring people to a five. And if you're at a two and reading one good thorough article brings you to a five, like that's a really fun experience, right? Like, wow, I just like learned so much about this. I can talk about this now. And now I want to go from there and dig in more. Even if I bring people from a two to a four or, you know, a three to a four, I mean, it's that, that's, that's super fun because it's this exhilarating feeling of understanding something better than you did from one article. So if I can do that, that's like a huge success. And none of us in this process, me or the reader has to become, has to be a physicist or talk to a physicist because they're up at higher. Now I can, sometimes I'll ask this question to an expert if it's just going to help fill in the gap, but the internet is an amazing place to learn. And if you, if your goal is to get to a six, the internet kind of has you covered. And the internet includes, by the way, being able to buy a book on Kindle or iBooks and just, you know, so for me, there's always, you know, iBooks or Kindle open and there's a bunch of tabs open and I'll often, you know, you know, that morning have been listening to a podcast or an audio book and, um, on the topic. And I just kind of immerse myself in it. Um, YouTube, I, I, sometimes it's just great, you know, look, so you can see when something is good or not good, but there are some great teachers on YouTube explaining things. It's one of the things with the Fermi paradox I remember watching is a bunch of, um, 
a bunch of like panels and debates and the people who are truly experts arguing with each other. You learn so much hearing an argument, you know, and people disagreeing is what you learn a lot more than, you know, one person just explaining their things. Cause you watch them try to poke holes in each other's things and you get a much more rounded idea. So for the Fermi paradox, I probably read a ton, you know, a bunch of, first I'll start with like the fun, basic articles. I'll read the Gizmodo on it. Just, okay. What's like the, I'll go read Wikipedia from beginning to end. And Wikipedia is a nice overview. You know, you know, you don't want to trust every single thing is necessarily hundred percent accurate because you know, you don't know if it is, but the beginning, I'm not worried about that. I'm just, I'm just trying to get a picture of the topic and you read 10 articles, surprising how much you suddenly know about it. And you, you know where the gaps are and you know where, then you can start to dig in, read some journal articles, which you understand better now because of the first set. You can watch, you know, as I said, a bunch of YouTube videos, First, maybe explainers. Then I'll start watching the experts debate each other. Um, I will might pick up a book or two and read those. And at the end of that, I often am ready to go for the Fermi paradox. I wasn't trying to go and explain anything too technical. I was trying to say, so what are all the different people, the, the people who do think about this for a living? Because the Fermi paradox is, for anyone who doesn't know, is it's the, you know, when you look at the stars at night and you think, um, there's got to be some life up there, and yet we've never seen any signs of any. That's this paradox. Doesn't make sense, right? It's a big universe. Why have we not seen any? You know, heard any signals, radio signals, seen any kind of activity that would suggest there's life out there? Does that mean there's no life? Does that mean there's another? There's a good reason we haven't seen it. And actually, it's an interesting topic because when you dig in, you realize that there are so many fascinating hypotheses, and that's all they are. It's all we have right now is a collection of hypotheses. And so I collected those. And then I did the thing that I think like a, uh, a good writer should do, which is not just sit there and say, because there's one more step after, you know, I could have just said 13. I think there's 13 hypotheses I have in, in there. And I, I could have easily just said 13 reasons, you know, 13 explanations for the Fermi paradox or why, we, why haven't we seen aliens? 13, you know, 13 hypotheses. That's fine. It's not an awful way to do it. But, you know, it's like if there's a more, if there's a way to do it, it's A, I think more interesting, but but B, in a way that actually adds a further layer of organization into the reader's head. If they can really be clear, 13, remember 13 scattered reasons. That's just interesting, but a year later, you're not going to remember. But if you look at it and you say, wait a second, there's, in this case, I thought there were two categories, two big categories that were distinct. And that was more important than within those, you have the potential hypotheses. Uh, that to, to me was um, what made the article good because, you know, you can present the hypotheses and that's kind of fun. But um, what I realized, the two hypotheses in this case were uh, the two, the two buckets. One was the, 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 the experts, the hypotheses that, 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 that suggest that we are alone. So that we, that we know that, and, and then the other 10, I think were, uh, no, the people who say, no, we're not alone. It was two camps. You know, one camp says we're alone and here's some reasons why they say that. And then the other camp says, we're, we're not alone. We're almost definitely not alone. And there's a lot of other reasons we wouldn't have seen evidence. And these are both super compelling. It's like, that's why it was so interesting is I was like, well, I don't know who's right here. Like, and I don't think they know who's right. So that's just kind of taking you through my process. And then, and then I would, you know, then I would also think about what should the visuals be and, uh, you know, get, get, once that outline is done, you know, what would this look like visually and then just kind of knock it out? Well, you crush it. I love it. You take really complicated things, make them very simple. And then, like you said, you didn't just listitize everything, right? That would be like observing and reporting, but you did some, rep you did some processing on it. 
right? And so you kind of like chewed our food a little bit for us. You 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 put some of your own thoughts into it and and found the groupings and then talked about those. And so that's where I think some of the big value is too. Yeah. Yeah. I think outlining is really important, you know, to, to, to try to be creative there and just step back and say, well, what, you know, what's the story, what's the story here? What's the, you know, if I were going to teach this to a group of people um, in front of a classroom or whatever, like how could I really make this interesting and not just kind of methodical? That's always like a, a thought. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I don't. I think the Fermi paradox was a win in that regard. And I think other ones I've done, I'm like, ah, I made the outline too complicated or, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, uh, too thorough. I think I often fail at that too. It's a hard skill to try to nail. So you do heavy, heavy outlining first, figure out everything and then you start. Right? Yeah. I think if it's a lot, really long post, you, you can't go, you can't outline in too much detail because inevitably when you start writing that you, you, there's some creative part of my brain, at least that does not visit me in the outlining phase. Like, I don't know where it is, but it's not there. Um, and I, and I'm sitting there kind of in left brain mode, you know, trying to structure like an architect and it's kind of boring myself with this outline. And then I actually start writing and suddenly like, Oh, these connections are coming and like, Oh, this like much, this like interesting metaphor just popped into my head. And it's amazing how much creativity emerges when actually writing when the actual process of writing or drawing. So I, I, now that I've learned that lesson, it took me a while. I try, you can, but you also can't do no outline because that creative brain that's writing without some structure will just meander and be redundant. And you, you know, and you'll miss important parts and you'll explain it in the wrong order. So I, I try to do it for a short post. I think you can just do a kind of a basic outline, write it out and you're done. As they get longer and longer, I think you kind of just do the basic structure and then you go to each section you start now it's time to write section one and you go and make a little bit more detail and then you just start writing and inevitably that's going to change what you want to do with the rest of the sections after you've written the first section. Excellent. No, I like it. I've, I've only written one book, my first book. And then it's much like building your first anything. You look back on it and you're like, Oh man, there's so Is many things the, I could have done. Better. You? Oh yeah. How long did that yep. take you? All right. So failed attempts. <laughs> it took me about, uh, the first year I kind of failed at it because I didn't know how to write. I had never written and I made all of these mistakes. And then the thing that ended up working for me was I found this writer online named Vincent. And I said, Vincent, let's get together. I'll pay you for your time. Uh, let's get together like every week for two, for an hour or two and we'll record the sessions. And I want you to talk to me and hear some topics I care about. And I want you to learn how I speak because I don't like books that are written like an editor wrote them like this is just hard to read i like books that just read like plain english right that's why one of the reasons why i like your writing you just read how you talk and i love it uh and so i met with him it took about 12 weeks and every time he took our conversation went back listened to it wrote up some stuff and then we had another session on it and so you know that whole process took you know three three to five months of of doing that so first one year of just like complete failure and like not going anywhere ended up with a bunch of crazy notes and voice memos, like half-baked things. And uh, then once I decided with Vincent, uh, that was like three to five months and we had the book. And uh, by the way, I love that you were talking about how you sort of tested your content. Because what I did was I took versions of the chapters and I put them on my blog. But at the time, like I didn't have many people reading. So I just ran like $100 of Facebook ads to my target audience with the blog post and got like thousands of shares and likes wow. and comments and people ripping what it apart. What year is this? 
2018. Okay. 19? Yeah. Okay. So continue. Yeah. So then I got like thousands of likes and comments and everything and people ripping it and these massive like debates. So I could tell what, where the, like where the tension was on certain topics and which ones mattered uh, more and then what the different views were. And then I went back and edited the chapter so that, you know, it met those things. But the key mistake that I made, because, you know, I put the book out and then I got like a ton of, you know, great, uh, feedback on Amazon. And then I got like a bunch of people who are upset. So I realized that there's two camps, at least for this type of book. There's one camp that like wants the story, wants it to be quick and short and like to the point is okay with abstract thinking because they have, you know, good imaginations and they can understand abstract com uh, concepts pretty well. And then there's the other people who just want like the instructions after the talking, like they want the bullet point steps of what to do and it's almost like they completely ignore the whole story and they're just like looking for the, and I didn't have any like bullet point steps of what to do. I was just like, here's some concepts and, you know, cause that's how my mind works. And I realized, all right, I'm either going to edit that book or just in my second book, I'm going to make sure that I have that sort of like summary wrap up, takeaway checklist thing at the end of the chapters. Yeah. I'm actually torn about that myself. Um, if it, if it, like, if some part of me feels like it feels like you're like reading a textbook when you get to that, but I also appreciate it as a writer. I mean, a lot of people do it now. And the other thing is I worry that a lot of people will just read those. And like so much of the nuance is not captured in those bullet points. So I'm like torn about it. I think there's such pros and cons to that. Um, but it depends also on the kind of book, obviously. But, um, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm trying to think about ways to do it that aren't necessarily. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that hurt me is it did so well and it's, and it's like niche, you know, niche or whatever you say it did so well with CTOs that it became popular enough on Amazon to where like people who weren't in the industry or anything saw it as like, Oh, this is an instructional book on like how to become a CTO. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, I re I actually adjusted the descriptions because it, it was like a bunch of sales two or three months, it was just going, it was like at the top of, you know, Amazon for its category and everything, which is a great screenshot. Right. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, boom, just like negative review, negative review. And I realized that it, it had just spilled over into a different audience. People, people are, the expectations had changed or people were yeah. assuming it was one thing and then, you know, not seeing that thing and thinking it was, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I adjusted the description significantly, like with caps and everything. I was like, this is a story. Yeah. <laughs> this is a story of how I became a CTO, you know? Totally. It's, um, but it's, it's interesting that you, um, you tried one way and a lot of people, I think, I mean, you have some kind of perfectionism thing that I have too, because so a lot of people after that first year would have just been like, okay, well, this is, let's just publish it and see what, but you were like, nah, -uh, it's not like where it needs to be. And then you like tried a whole other way to do it. Yeah. Like that's a lot of effort. That's like a big bummer to realize like, Oh, okay. No, I have to do it a whole different way. And I don't, I just think a lot of people don't, aren't going to like deal with that. So I mean, that's part of probably the reason that went over really well is like you, you, you really, this is your second crack at it. You know, no one saw the first crack. This is like uh, already the second edition, you know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. If you ever want to send me like an early copy of your book yeah, or something no, I, privately, I will, I'd be more than happy. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was curious about was, you know, because I, I am a fan of like Elon Musk. I don't know how you could not be a fan of his, unless if you're like one of those two or three writers he has like a, a feud with, but yeah, <laughs> I, they just do it for the popularity, totally. right? 
Um, yeah. And so I was just curious, like, you know, what it was like interacting with him. Uh, you got to interview him more than once, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was very available. I think he thought that like the messaging of their, you know, the, teaching the world about why those companies exist and what they're actually trying to do. I think he thinks it's really important. And so he actually put, you know, he put some effort into helping with this, which was great. It was great to get to dig deep with him. I mean, like I talked to a bunch of his staff and I could ask them a lot. First, I just did a ton of research. So I didn't want to waste anyone's time here. Um, I wanted to learn, you know, anything I could learn online, I wanted to. Then I filled in a bunch of gas with his staff and with him, I tried to keep it to like the big, big picture, you know, like what is the future going to be like and what scares you about it? And why are these companies helping to make the future better? And, you know, so that, that was fascinating. Obviously he's like, um, you know, a very well-rounded thinker. He thinks a lot about history and, you know, he loves sci-fi and he's, you know, his, he's obviously, you know, everyone knows he's a very big thinker, but he he truly is in a very, like, he's always thinking about the, the kind of, really big story. What's the big, big story going on? And to him, that story could be, could end well or not well. And I could have a happy ending or not, or happy next chapter or not. And he wants the story to go on for a long time. And he wants it to be a good story that everyone's happy to live inside of. Um, and from there, he kind of says, okay, what are the big threats to that vision? What, what could make this a short story or a bad future story? And how, what's the best thing that we could be doing? What are the best things we could be doing to try to mitigate those existential risks and uh, increase our probability of that good future? And it's as simple as that. I mean, every one of his companies stems from that initial kind of brainstorm. And, um, and then the companies themselves, and you dig in, they're doing such cool things. The technology is super cool in each of these things. Um, they're so like, just awe-inspiring, you know, these, these, these incredible machines they're building in different areas. And, and so, yeah, it's good. I couldn't think of a more fun group of companies to, to write about. I got very lucky and uh, very fortunate that, uh, that I had the chance to do that. Yeah. You're amplifying good stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's like, A, it just, yeah, it, it makes for great blog posts because this is the exact kind of thing I wanted to write about anyway. But, you know, it's to me, it's just like the Fermi paradox, big zoom out on what's really going on. And then like, how could we solve it and why this matters and what we, you know, what's exciting about the next five years and all the stuff I like writing about anyway. And then, yeah, I really believe in the mission of these companies. And, um, I, I, you know, if I can do a tiny part to like help more people, you know, I think, you know, help, help people maybe apply to work there that wouldn't have, or just help people, um, uh, support it that may not have then then I want to put any effort I can to that. Yeah. I've, I've struggled with like the, th- I've gone back and forth on wanting to interview him. Like when I first started, obviously I definitely wanted to interview him because it would be like the coolest thing in the world. But then as, you know, uh, you know, as the platform grew and everything changed, I started thinking like, you know, I watch a lot of his interviews. Like I watch his Joe Rogan interviews when he posts stuff on online, he'll do some YouTube interviews and, you know, he works with, he does a lot of interviews. And so I'll watch them and then I get a real feeling like an understanding of him. I think one thing that's sort of almost underreported in the different interviews or that interviewers don't pick up on is like his self-sacrificing nature. The fact that he's like working and doing all of this because he wants to ensure a better future for humanity. I mean, it's almost always just like a passing thing. And I didn't, I never hear interviewers like dig into like why, you know, he's like that. 
Yeah. Um, he doesn't like to, I don't, you know, he usually wants to talk about the companies themselves and what he's doing. And, you know, I, yeah, I think, you know, he often like probably won't, you know, dig into that kind of question, but, but yeah, I mean, maybe you should try to get him on and, and ask him. Well, that's what I was struggling with. I was like, uh, obviously like my team wants me to do it and like pursue it. But I, I was saying like, unless if I, he's doing such important work out there. Right. And he's running these companies and he's doing this stuff. And it's like, if I'm going to take up like some of his time, I want to be able to a ask him something super like unique things that he hasn't covered a hundred times in all his other interviews. And so until I have those questions, like I'm not going to waste his time and then be something that would like bring value to the mission he's on. So I was like, when those things sort of come together, I'm a patient person right. and I've gotten to do like every interview I've ever wanted to do the coolest. One of the coolest ones was uh, the creator of the World Wide Web. I got to meet that, that guy. Tim that Tim Berners Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy should be so much more famous than he is. I know. I know. I asked him. I was like, like he's like, he is the like. It's just crazy. But like, he kind of invented the internet, um, or whatever the. Oh yeah, the I got roasted on this again. Like, I, yeah. Very, I get. Yeah. Is is it like? Is it now the thing that? Like WWW, I mean, that is, yeah. right? So like he kind of invented the internet or what? Like, what yes. so yeah, explain. I got, I got schooled on this, by the way. Yeah. Because <laughs> I hang out with like nerds. I mean, like the smartest people in technology in the world. And so I, I was going around saying like, oh, I got to interview the creator of the internet. And someone's like, whoa, 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 buddy, <laughs> right. slow down. You got to interview the creator of the World Wide Web. Right. And I was like, okay. by the way, that was uh, David Mazieres, the inventor of the stellar cryptocurrency network. Oh, yeah. Um, the, that's the one who schooled Joel on that. Funny. Yeah. Which I think is important. <laughs> yeah. And we let that air for sure because, um, like, it was, it's important. So, like, I'll give you the brief. Yeah. Thing. There's several layers of the internet, like what we call the internet. You know, you got like the fiber optic cables that are like underground. Then you have, you know, there's these layers and there's actually a, a graph I, or a, an infographic I can send you that. Right. There's like the common. physical like, internet, which is like an yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of wires and yeah. Yes. It's actually like, it's literally a web like spun around the earth like there's these giant ships and they have them over the they're they're on the ocean floors like it's literally a web of Crazy. wires around the earth i know i know like right now when we're talking data is like being transformed bouncing as light around like the world or at least between our two locations and that's how we're seeing each other and talking it's to each wild. other it's like this bouncing just light happened like i know you zoom out like this is like yesterday this whole thing wasn't wasn't here and now it's here it's just, it's a crazy time. I mean, it's, we're so used to it. Nothing, internet is not normal. It's an insane thing that's here. I know. And we've only had uh, electricity for 110 right. years. It's all just started. Like it's, it's like people who are alive today, like their grandparents grew up before any of this stuff. It's, yeah. But anyway. I actually, uh, one thing stood out to me in, in one of your Fermi articles or one, a part of it is uh, something there to the tone of our humans advanced a, a thousand years or humans advanced one million years would look back at us as like monkeys as like what we're doing, right? Yeah. Like socially. And I was like, that's so true because I've always had this thought, uh, don't know where it came from, probably just the, the life um, when I see the little aliens, I'm like, I think those are just future us's. Like after we figured out genetic engineering and like, we, you know, th I think that's probably just like, what if that's just the evolution of DNA 
and that's that's where we end up and maybe we're just like uh you know they are like hey we figured out everything let's just go start it over start start what over like life like let life start over oh that's what and like maybe like this aliens like created us. oh yeah yeah i always well yeah i definitely think that we might have a creator like as someone who was all like proud atheist a while back i'm like wait that's dumb because like i cannot believe in like the bible or the quran and still be very open about like it's probably likely we do i mean it could be the simulation creator or it could be aliens planted us as crops somehow uh they're, they're yeah. farming something uh could be some philanthropic thing they want to spread life through the universe and spread consciousness and I, who knows but like i also think one of the things about the fermi paradox that crosses my mind is that the like we might be looking for things in the physical world and it might be at some point that you just like the physical world you just leave that and you go into um the some virtual world and you know not the way we do it with physical servers but way cooler than that something where they're going into some quantum with some bit virtual something but where they control everything and they don't rely on physical kind of universe anymore for anything um and and so we're looking at the physical world for where are they but it's like they're that's like no that's like apes looking in a, uh like chimps looking in the trees being like well where are are there humans and no they're not in the tree so they're nowhere it's like no we left the trees a long time ago we're in we're in houses way better and maybe they're in the equivalent of that and like you know the physical universe is like a big way too big and cold and dangerous and you know you need resources and so i don't know there's just a lot it's so much of the thinking we do when we imagine big questions like that, either the far future or things like alien life, we're really applying a lot of what we know to it and assuming that a lot of these things hold in way crazy different situations. And it's probably a fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can take like truths of the universe and then try to like extract, like abstract them out. Like for one, like uh, living things grow and replicate, right? Like that's what they grow and they replicate and they expand. And so we think about that. It happens on all of these different levels. It happens on our cellular level, happens in our social level. Like, you know, we have kids or we have families or whatnot, but like, why would it just stop? If it happens on all of these levels up the stack, like why would it just stop at civilizations? Yeah. Well, maybe, but maybe because replicating and growing is a very like, Oh, that's like an animal thing to do, but we're like, we're, we're, we've like, we're trans, trans animal now. And we don't like, you know, um, we don't, we don't replicate anymore. Like there are like a certain number of consciousnesses and we don't create new ones for some ethical reason. And we, but we also don't die because replication is needed if you die. Right. So you, if you can't have death without replication or this, or that everything's over. So maybe when you get rid of death and it's like, oh, now we're, we're all like uploaded in this virtual thing. There's no like death unless you're, unless you're, you're sick of being conscious. Maybe then replication would stop. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, but I don't know. But, 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 it's but, interesting topics. But, but wait, but what, what's the World Wide Web? What's the World Wide Web? It would oh, so uh, require that, like, a pretty physical light. internet. So what did Tim Berners Lee create? So, I believe the best way to explain it would be like a web page, like the HTTP browsers, stuff that you're experiencing through your browsers would be sort of like the easiest you, way he, to he explain came up it. with like a system, a, yeah, he a was software-based system to use this physical network in a way that was like usable and efficient or something. Yeah, yeah. So there's like, 
there's SSH, which is, you know, not the World Wide Web. It's a way of communicating between machines. Um, I could like send you data and things of that nature, but we've got to exchange these private keys and like in login in a certain way. So it's just like machine to machine. So you think of, um, think of the internet as like a part, like a computer that like exposes a certain section of that computer to anyone who wants to view it publicly. Right. So before domains, we had IP addresses. Like you would just, that's why you have bookmarks, bookmarks in your browser is like a legacy thing because you wouldn't want to type in, you know, 76.142.whatever to get to the place you want to go. Mm. Um, and so it started out, you know, computers, we had the terminal, right? And so we could SSH and it was just text and we would do it like that. And then they sl slowly browsers came and he developed it out of a, a project at CERN. And as a way to share information broadly, from, from what I understand. So he developed that from CERN as a way to share information broadly and publicly. Wow. Is he really rich? He should be so rich. I don't know. Like, but he's cool guy. Like the biggest thing ever. Like everyone who writes WWW, like that's because he invented that. Like that's right. It's nuts. Yeah. And he's super, and he's making a second one, man, which oh, is wow. even cooler. If you, if you write, if you do some writing on like data privacy and like the future of data privacy, checking out his new like project that they're working on would death. That's why we had him on. Cause it was like, okay, Tim Berners-Lee's creating like a second internet. And so we're like, we need to talk about that. Yeah. The, the, the two industries I'm convinced are not going anywhere are data privacy and cybersecurity, which are similar. Uh, related, but like, it's, you know, as more and more data goes on the, these things, and maybe some of the computers end up in our brains. Um, you know, that's actually a thing of the future, probably. And, and the more AI they can like, hack in and like, grab people's things. And, you know, it's, it's man, it's just going to be like, kind of um, a battle of people trying to keep things safe and people trying to, you know, break those systems like that. I don't see that going anywhere for many decades. Oh yeah. Have you ever looked into the people? There's a documentary on Amazon prime, I think called uh, cyborgs among us. Mm -mm. There are, people are just like embedding electronics into their bodies. Oh yeah. Well, this is what, you know, this is what yeah, an Elon Musk point is. He says that all people are cyborgs now or anyone with a, you know, a phone is a cyborg or computer. And at first I was kind of like, well, no, I mean, we can act like a cyborg if we're holding a phone. And he's like, no, no, you are a cyborg. And you know, you are, you can get information from anywhere you want into your brain, like instantly with, you know, just like, and you can talk to anyone anywhere. And, you know, and, 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 and the, when it clicked for me is when I kind of realized that what he's saying is true, because if only this phone were on the inside of my skin instead of the outside, Officially, a hundred percent would be a cyborg. So, who cares what side of the skin it, this thing is on? So, if we, if, if the phone then becomes an a brain machine interface in your brain, where you can now call this stuff up just by thinking it, you know, asking it, it as a thought and getting the answer, it's not that material a difference. I mean, it's, it's it, the difference is only in like how high tech the cyborg capabilities are and how seamless it is but it's like the, the important thing is that we have side we're look maybe we're low-grade cyborgs we're kind of not very impressive cyborgs but we are uh, you know that we're in that category now and it's kind of crazy and that's just gonna i love yeah. it yeah when he said that i was like yeah dude it's just a bandwidth problem it's just a speed problem it's just because my brain has to go through my fingers to type it and then get the information yeah, we're just back. really bad just, 
cyborgs. We're really 1.0 cyborgs right now. And he wants to make us really good cyborgs so that we can protect ourselves against AI. I'll give us some love though, because like 50 years ago, we were walking to a library to try to get information from old printed books that were old. <laughs> yep. And, and I mean, again, if you take a zoom out here, 500 years ago, which is still yesterday in the bigger scheme of things, um, you know, that's less than a percent of human history ago. There were no printed books. So there was no printed books. Now what you have is, you know, you know, scrawled writing. Now, if you go back 5,000 years, which is now, again, it's, we're talking, you know, a couple percent of human history. There's no writing at all. So everything that is known is just contained in human brains. The, the body of human knowledge is passed on through language and contained in brains. And that's it. The only hard drives that contain the info are brains. There's no other. And it's like, it's just um, the accumulation of knowledge, you know, via these other things is extremely new. And it's like, you know, it's, it's easy to feel like when you, you're born into a world that it's normal. But we live in an anomaly within a bigger anomaly within a bigger anomaly within human. Let's party. And human history itself is an anomaly. It's a strange 100,000 years for our species that no other species has had anything like this before. So it's, this is a very crazy time to be a human. I'm pumped up. Did you hear... Uh about Zuckerberg's plan for the metaverse? Um, I did not. Yeah, dude, Zuckerberg won. Have you seen um, uh, the series on, I think it's like Hulu called Upload, where they're putting their consciousness into the cloud? No. Dude, all right. I want you to write on, <laughs> I'm sure so many people tell you this type of stuff, but man, the future of consciousness, you could take like the Neuralink, you, have you written on Neuralink specifically? Yeah, I wrote a really long, thorough thing about Neuralink. Did you like hypothesize about the future with Neuralink? Oh yeah, it's it's the most fun okay. game. Is what is gonna like what will, will be will we be able to do in twenty forty? Like, we might be able to think with each other and you know show each other what our eyes are seeing uh, and show you know play for each other what our ears are hearing and play music directly into our brains and you know, call up information right into our brains, which basically means we know that stuff. I mean, what is knowledge? You know, you, you know, you don't have everything on the top of your mind at all time. If I want to remember what year something was, I still have to go kind of dig into my brain, retrieve that info, right? There's still that process. It's not just like immediately on the tip of my tongue. Um, and so it's just a different kind of retrieving info. So instead of having to retrieve it from the neurons in your brain, you're retrieving it from the cloud, but it's either way, it's all happening inside your brain. So it's like, suddenly we all know everything. It's, it's, it's very intense. It's a lot of fun. I'm excited. I'm going to get one. I look forward to it. Yes. When well, one of the things Neuralink is doing is, you know, it's not just the, you know, of course the software will get better and better and better. They'll have Neuralink five and Neuralink eight, just like the iPhone, iPhone 12, iPhone 13, same thing. Um, but the hardware is what they're also doing. You know, the implantation implantation process, um, they do not want this to be invasive or dangerous or expensive or slow or painful or anything like that. They want it to be like LASIK. You go in, Hopefully your insurance covers it or you can go on a payment plan so that, you know, anyone um, in the U.S. who can afford, you know, cable can afford to get one of these and, and eventually even cheaper. Eventually it'll be something that is, you know, maybe, maybe covered for every, so everyone can have one, you know, I mean, right now, smartphones, it's hard to find the people on earth that don't have smartphones. I mean, I've, I've been in some, you know, as I was in a, um, 
visited Nigeria and I spent a week with this family and they had nothing. They lived in a little place that had, you know, their rent was $5 a month. And, you know, I bought a bag of rice and he was saying, this is gonna, my mom will use this for six months. This is great. And it was $50 bag of rice was a huge deal. They had smartphones. The kids had smartphones. So to me, (laughs) you know, that, that is, um, that that's where this will go eventually. And, um, and and the point is that it'll also be easy. You'll go in, I'll say, okay, I have the Neuralink 6. I want the Neuralink 10. I, I haven't upgraded in a while. I'm still on the 6. So I can't like share those, you know, those sounds in high quality the way you can. I want to go get the better one. So you go in for a two-hour appointment or one-hour thing, and this machine safely takes the old one out, puts the new one in, patches you up. You know, there's some local anesthet, you know, anesthesia, and um, and you um and you walk out and you're like, oh, wow, this is so much more fun. Oh, yeah, look at all this stuff I can do now with my head because that's the device now is your head. So this is all, and by the way, Neuralink has not told me much of this. This is all my, you know, my fantasy here. But I do think, I mean, some of that is based on, you know, the, the machine they're using. A lot of this is based on stuff they told me. But from there, you can just have a fun time imagining. Oh, I love it. I love thinking about this stuff. That's why I was so excited when I saw that series called Upload because they, um, they just visualize it in a really unique way. And, you know, then all the social behavioral stuff comes out around it. And it's, uh, it's just kind of, it's, it's, I think you would enjoy it if you like thinking about that type of stuff. So it's uh, uh, upload. It's a series you said. Yeah. It's like, it's only one series or like one season of something, but the basically, you know, they, they're, they live in the real world. And then there's also this like metaverse. Yeah. And when you die, if you die correctly, or if you go in, like before you die, you can get your consciousness uploaded. But then there's like different tiers, like, because it's all monetized. And so uh, different people live in the different tiers. And then there's a story that goes with all of it. Uh, that makes it compelling and interesting. Sounds great. Sounds very up my alley. So I want to give you a, a couple like a couple shout outs. The one for the book. Does the book have a title yet? Uh, thinking about the story of us, but still making that final decision. Cool. And people will be able. Do you have like a pre-registration on your website or anything for Not it? Not yet. But okay. but but if anyone you know if anyone's interested in this or like keeping up with what I'm doing, just sign up for the email list, the which is you can find on the website because that's like that's the place where I like notify people what's going, you know, what's what's happening or when. Excellent. Excellent. And then I saw you just, did you just sell your company? Your, uh, test prep company. Yes. Though that one that was way back from when I was procrastinating in 2005 from doing music. Um, and the credit for there goes mostly to my business partner, Andrew, who, you know, while I've been doing with the last bunch of years, um, has been, you know, working really hard growing that, uh, and the the staff and, um, you know, really long-term staff now, and they've just built something really good that actually was sellable. I never considered that like, a tutoring company was something that we could sell. And when I started doing Wave Y, you probably couldn't have. So I'm very, uh, very, very grateful that they, uh, that they just, you know, they, they crushed it. Awesome. No, I'm, I love it. I love what you're doing out there in the world. I'm a big fan. I look forward to future content. I want to make sure that we get you as much, as much, um, like publicity and things as possible. Was there anything else we want to plug or talk about? No, for me, it's uh, everything lives on wave, and people should just go check it out there. And, uh, that's it's all all really that's uh it's all in one place (laughs) thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin 
or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.